This episode is brought to you by Certified Piedmontese Beef. Listen up, foodies. Make your next meal even better with real Nebraska beef. They have healthy, tender, delicious Italian heritage beef, grass-fed and sustainably raised on lush pastures in the Midwest. You can even create your own personally curated meat box that's shipped right to your door. To get two free steaks with any purchase over $50, use the code FREEBEEF at checkout. Learn more and shop exclusively at cpbeef.com. This episode is brought to you by FX's The Bear. The hit series returns with Jeremy Allen White in the Golden Globe-winning role of Carmi. He and the team will transform their family sandwich shop into a next-level spot, all while being forced to come together in new ways as they confront their past and reckon with who they want to be in the future. FX is the bear. All episodes now streaming only on Hulu. Hello and welcome to One for the Road with me, Sobe Dave. I'm going to be talking to some incredible guests over the next few weeks, all of whom have made the decision to look at their relationship with alcohol and take steps towards a positive change. My guests are all at different points in their journey, but all have powerful and uplifting stories to share. And that's why I hope you find each episode a valuable source of inspiration and insight. My amazing sponsors for season two of One for the Road are Rock Sober. A brand established in 2017 and led by brothers Sean and Lee, who are both in recovery and on a shared mission to inspire and support recovering addicts worldwide. Injecting rock and roll into sobriety, Rock Sober offers merchandise and accessories to inspire and empower its community of sober badasses. Boys have recently launched a new range of alcohol-free beers which are taking the market by storm. Every beer purchased will help Rock Sober on their mission to support and inspire more people in recovery. Their message is clear, you don't need alcohol to have a good time. So let's all Rock Sober and remember the good times with Rock Sober AF Drink. So today on my show is the Rock Sober Boys, Lee and Sean, and I feel so honoured and privileged to have you both on today. How are you both? We're good, mate. Thank you. Very well, Dave. Thanks, mate. We go back. I'm fine. I'm a little bit hot in the office, but that's all right. We go back a little bit, don't we? Because we first met at the um, Jago in Dalston when you were having a talk. And um, I was only a few weeks sober and I was petrified going to this event. And um, when I walked in, knocked someone's drink over, fell on this sofa. I think everyone thought I was drunk. <laughs> but it was my nerves. But you guys gave me a little wink and come up to me after and just introduce yourself. And since then, we've been really, really good friends. So it, this is feels like a real privilege to have you both on my podcast today. No, it's a so privilege to be you. on it, mate. And and thank you for letting us be on the first one of your of your new season. We're absolutely thrilled, mate. And you're, you're smashing it out of the park. So we're absolutely honoured, mate. Absolutely honoured. Thank you, Lee. So, Sean, what I would love to do is delve straight in there so the listeners can hear um, your story about your drinking back in the day and what led to you becoming sober. Yeah, no problem, Dave. 
So um, for those of you who don't know, I think you said it already, Dave, but Lee and I are brothers. We started our careers in the city of London um, and we both landed ourselves in the financial markets. So obviously, as a, for me, I was 16 when I started in London and um, the culture was very much a drinking culture. So, you know, coming out of grammar school and then suddenly going, I think my first day at NatWest Stockbrokers, my initiation was a four hour lunch break of which after I came out of the NatWest wine bar, there were about four bins on the way back to the office and I was sick in every one of them. So that was welcome to the world of drink. And, and really and truly, you know, Bro and I, over the years, we'd worked actually for the same companies. We were sitting next to each other and the partying obviously progressed. The more money you earn up there, you know, you start mixing with people and it is very much expected of you that, you know, at lunchtime you drink, you drink after work. And it really did get messy at times. And uh, although it was probably at the time we thought it was a lot of fun, it was planting seeds for us, which was obviously going to be a problem in the future. But one thing led to another there, really. And I think, yeah, there were good times had, but ultimately where the problem started for Lee and I, I mean, we both suffered with mental health pretty much all of our adult lives and going back to our childhood. And I think with the stress that we were under in, in you know, the, the, the city and the high paid job and the responsibility, we actually started to drink more and more and more just really as a, a to sort of numb the pain and to, you know, to, to try and alleviate the stress. And for both of us, we found ourselves drinking more and more at home, sneaking in a few cheeky bottles of red wine and hiding them in the house. So, you know, the missus couldn't find them and she didn't, I didn't want anybody to know I had a problem, although, I'm, you know, we both knew we had a problem and it, and it really progressed from there, mate. And, you know, being brothers, we got a little bit of bravado and we'd often find ourselves in a scrape here and there and that became more and more frequent. And it really did come to a head in 2014, I think it was. Yes. Was that right? 2014. 2014. Yeah. And that, that was the year, well, that was shortly before we both got sober. And we basically had a, uh, a, little, a little bit of a scrape in a, in a, in a bar. Uh, it turned out, you know, pretty ugly. It was just an innocent drink. We'd already been out drinking for, I think, 48 hours. And it was lunchtime and we were we were obviously tanked up and we both had a little bit of a grievance with the landlord of this pub and we just started irritating him and before you knew it, it was a fully blown fight. And we nearly got sent down for that. We was uh, sprawled all over the newspapers. You know, it was embarrassing and it was really out of character. And we felt very ashamed of that. And I think probably for sort of, you know, a period of time, the fact that we felt so ashamed of it, it actually made our drinking worse. We just got more and more on it. But for Lee, Lee kind of hit his peak in October 2014. And he decided that enough was enough. He couldn't go on anymore. I kept going and I kept going. And it was until January the 1st, 2015, when uh, celebrating... New Year's Eve, and I collapsed on the kitchen floor at my girlfriend's house. She called an ambulance. I got a bit nasty with them, thinking that they was going to section me, and they called the police, and I spent my New Year's Eve in a police cell. So we both had our kind of... Uh, we both hit the brick wall slight, you know, three or four months apart, but ever since those days, we've not touched a drop of drink. Yeah, and I think for, for me, Dave, it was... Um... 
in in October. I, I gave up October the fourteenth, twenty fourteen, and that was obviously I think the incident happened in June. And like what Bro alluded to, my drinking escalated even further because of purely because of the shame of what had happened the event you know we were you know eventually we were going to be plastered over the papers when we got sentenced and all of that sort of stuff that was a couple of years after which dragged on and on and on but October 14 I can literally remember having an argument with my wife um, another argument and primarily over drink stormed out basically went into town to get some more drink and literally I was literally in town and literally fell to my knees and just cried my eyes out. I was absolutely mentally and kind of physically as well, as well I guess, because of the, the amount of drink that I was consuming. I was broken. I was completely and utterly broken. And I, you know, the mad thing is when I, when I actually crashed to my knees in tears, I asked my, my dad, bless him, to, uh, to, to pick me up from town, but I asked him on the way back to stop off to the off-license to get a bottle of wine to take back to theirs because I might need it, you know? And I think I had a couple of glasses back at theirs and, I, you know, literally I was in a complete state and I just said, this is it. After this night, the next day, October the 14th, I'm having no more to drink. That is it. I'm stopping. This is either going to kill me, I'm going to end up hurting someone else, I was already, you know, affecting, you know, my relationship with with my wife, who was as good as gold. You know, it, it, she's been incredible and, and so supportive, as is uh, Sean's girlfriend. And it was ruining the relationship. Um, it was ruining a lot of people's lives. But we, we were in denial for so long. And it was unfortunate that it took one incident like that for it to make us realise that, you know, hold on a minute, this is getting a little bit, this is getting a little bit silly now. Um, and that's what we always say to people, like, you know, if we, we, we don't preach, you know, as, as part of Rock Sober, we don't, we never preach to people and say, you know, you can't drink, this is what's going to happen, you, you know, it's all, you know, it's more a case of being mindful, it's more a case of, like, if you do drink, fine, if you do think you've got a problem and you're in denial, please speak to someone about it, because it could escalate and it could end up in a situation that that we ended up in. You know, that resulted in myself personally losing my job. I was working for Deutsche Bank. Um, I lost my job there because I was contracting, earning very, very good money, quite a, you know, a high position. And they said, because it was pending the court case, at the end of my contract, they would have to let me go. So that was the end of that. You know, obviously throughout our, our, our period of drinking, the years preceding the event, um, bro and I have lost, lost, you know, I lost two houses personally, bro's lost houses, you know, split up from my first wife, bro as well from his first wife, all really attributed to the lifestyle we was leading with drink. Mm. And it, it, it can destroy lives and it, it, you know, it destroyed ours, but we thankfully, thankfully we've pulled it back. And I think that's the message that we'd like to get across on this, on this podcast, Dave, is that you can be having such a bloody good time. You can be in the moment. You can be living the dream. And literally, you're five minutes away from total carnage. And that was always the case for us over the course of the 20 years. We got away with a, with a lot of things that we probably shouldn't have done. Um, but we did, and we just kept doing it. And it took us to get that far down that line and to get in that much shit that was the only thing that, that pulled us back and made us think. So 
we're not invincible. No one's invincible. Drink and drugs makes you feel invincible, but we're not. And um, so the message really is, you know, even if you can just rein it in a little bit, and we wish we could have done, sadly, we, we've never had a stop button. And that's why we're completely sober and have been now the pair of us for almost seven years. But if you can control it, then, you know, why spoil the good times just by taking it too far? That would really be our, our message. Do you know what I think the message is as well? Is um, As you guys know, I'm a grey area drinking coach. And the majority of my clients are women, right? Yeah. And I think the message here is that it's all about having that conversation as well. Because I don't think men do. I think no. there's a stigma around it. I think, you know, the macho side of it. Yeah, it's the, you know, it's the bravado, isn't it? Or, it's the bravado. Yeah. And yeah. most men seem to take it further and reach a rock bottom before they actually do anything yeah. about it. And I think the message here is that it is okay to reach out. It is okay to talk to your best friend, to follow guys on social media like yourselves that are open about your journey yeah. um, and, and make it cool to actually be so 100%. A hundred percent. And I think the other thing as well, Dave, is is the association with mental health. I mean, Bro and I are not ashamed to admit that we've, we've struggled with our mental health. I mean, I can't remember when it was, but it was probably about 20 odd years ago that, that you know, I, I was I was actually admitted to the Priory for a month with depression and OCD. And I still suffer with OCD now. And I think that was a lot of the reason why I drank the way I did, because mentally it's so tiring and so exhausting. And so stressful at times that you want to have that drink to alleviate that stress and that and that pain, if you like. But ultimately, it was okay after the first, you know, couple of glasses. You, you know, you, you yes, you do chill out. But when you've had two or three bottles and then you start hitting the spirits and then you do this and you do that, the wheels come off. The wheels come off, and the next morning you feel like absolute dog shit, and you, you're you're ten times worse, and your mental state is even worse. But one thing I but will we never say, learned from it. Really, so, sorry to interrupt. But one thing I will say while it's in my mind, and and this is incredible for me, I was on medication from the age of probably 1920, when I started to, you know, get palpitations at work and all of that. And then I started ducking out of things and I couldn't face social situations. And a lot of it was work related. Now, one thing that we would definitely kind of recommend and for Lee and I, we didn't have a choice because with criminal record working in the city, it's not happening. We're not going to ever get a job in the city. I hated it. I think Lee enjoyed it more than I did. I hated it. But the minute I walked away from it, my mental wellness did start to improve. And a year after I got sober, I thought I'm going to wean myself off of my medication just to see if I can cope. And I've not been on meds for six years and I've never felt so mentally strong. So the alcohol that we thought was disguising and, you know, helping us get through all the crap was actually compounding it and making it worse for us. So I think that's another message. We're not, you know, condoning or promoting that if you're on meds, you know, get sober and your mental health will be better. Yeah. But it, it is certainly for me, because I'm sober now and I'm more conscious and I, my life has more clarity, I can deal with bad situations better than when I was drinking. And there's no need to go down the pub and bury you you know, bury your head in your hands. Yeah. You I, I totally face it. Yeah, I totally agree. And and like what Bro said about reducing meds. I mean, 
I'm still on medication, primarily really because of the OCD and, and what have you. But I've recently reduced my meds. But if I, I know for a fact that if I was still drinking, my mental well-being would be, I don't know, 20 times worse than it is now. You know, so, you know, things are good. Things are looking up. You know, we're really proud to have set up Rock Sober and, and, and help as many people as we can in a similar situation. We, we don't admit to... You know, we're not professionals, we're not professional counsellors, but we've experienced it. And if we if we can sort of relay that to as many people as possible and just for people to be aware of the potential downfalls and dangers of it, then for us, that's what we've set out to do. So, you know, it's it's, it's good. It's all good. How did Drock Sober come about then? Yeah, so um, as I said, you know, we both got sober 2014, 2015. And we, we both sort of addressed our sobriety in completely different ways. Now, I've always been a bit of a, a social animal. I've, I'm always drawn to social. Although I said I suffered in social situations, I do like being around, you know, a lot of people. And, and I like being around family, friends. And I was really missing that. I was really missing that. And it was a few years, really, until both of us sort of ventured into the real world because... We had to sever the ties from a lot of our our circles. A lot of our friends, you know, so-called friends, were really just drink buddies. And you know who your friends are when you stop drinking because, you know, they're the ones that give you a call. And 90% of those people didn't bother. You know, it was just a, a pub buddy. That's all they was. And kind of time went on and I started to save up for a mountain bike because I knew that I had to do something with my life to, you know, instead of going to the pub. So I did, I started riding, I volunteered at a local cycling facility and I was, I was actually helping disabled riders. I went on long ride outs and that was just my way of coping at the time. And after a couple of years, I actually saved, I actually saved up for a motorbike out of the money that, I wasn't spending down the pub and that had reignited a passion of mine. And it was that motorbike, my beautiful little baby, that every time I had the EBGBs, I just got on the saddle and, and rode because for me, being out there on the road on my own is a good way to sort of think the road is a good listener. I always say that, but really as a brand rock sober, that came about um, as a result of a dream that I had. And I sat up, bolt upright in bed about four o'clock one morning, gave the missus a nudge. She weren't too pleased, but I told her that I just had this incredible dream. And it literally was, I saw the words rock sober in lights. And it was like, you know, the All Saints shop front, it was like that. But it was like, I don't know, like an awakening. The whole room lit up and rock sober was just shining. And it, it was unbelievable. And so I wrote it down, went back to sleep. First thing in the morning, I rang up bro and said, bro, I've just had this a vision really I don't know what to call it a really powerful dream but I've seen the words rock sober and spell r-o-k-s-o-b-a I think someone's given us a sign I think we need to use that to help other people in our situation now we're really passionate for that because we've got a very close family we've been down so many times and not one of our family members have ever disowned us walked away from us and they probably should have done to be fair they always stood by us and what we thought was i wonder how many people out there haven't got that don't have the luxury 
of a, a very supportive family or close friends or loved ones. So we thought Rock Sober would actually be a way of a giving people that identity that you potentially lose when you go sober. You feel like you've had your arms removed or your limbs removed. You feel like a different person, uh, that you've lost your identity. But B, it would be a support mechanism. It would be inspiration for people. And also, Rock Sober would mean for Sean and Lee, as the founders, that it is our rock and also it is our promise to ourselves. We can't, we can't go drinking again because we want, you know, we're building a fan base here that are relying on us and they want us to prove that you can rock sober. And so one thing led to another, Dave. Um, we, it was really a little part-time venture and we thought, you know, if anything, it would keep us out of the pub. But within a few months, our following started to, you know, climb. We was finding that we was getting followers from all over the world. We started to, you know, introduce T-shirts and jewellery and all sorts of accessories that gave people, uh, sort of empowered people, really. And before we knew it, we was just, uh, you know, we thought, you know what, this is bigger than we thought. We need to do something with this. We need to progress this. And, you know, we obviously want to help people in the UK, but the amount of people struggling, the amount of messages and DMs we were getting, like yourself, Dave, you know, Rock Sober as a brand is helping us. It's keeping us on track. Thank you for the inspiration. It's like, wow, this is making us really, really proud to, to be doing this, to give something back. Mm. And, and that really, you know, that's really it. Rock Sober started as a dream. It was a little part-time venture. It did keep us out of the pub. Thankfully, now it's a full-time occupation. And what's happened is, and I'll let Lee kind of explain where we're heading, but what happened as a result of wanting to help more people were a number of things. We needed to introduce, I guess, we needed to increase revenues for Rock Sober so that we can spread our wings and we can, you know, spread ourselves a bit thinner. And we introduced our very first alcohol-free beer, if you remember the Zero Fear, Dave. Yeah. The old stout we, we introduced. Well. We introduced that as a, as a way of potentially building more revenues and then those revenues could get pumped in to Rock Sober and then we can cast our net wider. And that kind of works to a degree. But what we really found that we needed was experts in the beer trade because we're not beer experts. And as Lee always says... Good at drinking it. Good at drinking it at the time. But really and truly, we don't know what effort is made to actually create the quality of beer that we were looking for. So, you know, we did very, we were fortunate that we found people that were willing to help us. And as you know, Dave, we've launched our, our new range of AF drinks that are, that are now out there. And, and now, you know, with the aspirations that we've got for these beers, every beer that we sell is going to help us help more and more and more people. And they're the people that I was explaining about, those that perhaps don't have someone to turn to. We want to introduce inspiration centres, so all over the world eventually, but, you know, we'll be humble. We'll start with one or two in the UK, but a place where people can literally go and chill out, where there's no alcohol, there's no drugs, and you can just go there, you can rock and roll, you can have a tattoo, you know, it's going to be very inspirational. And even we feel that even people that drink would probably like to go there just to like chill out and enjoy a good tasting beer with all the rock and roll that's going on around you without the after effects, without waking up with a rotten hangover or 
you're losing your shit with somebody. It's just going to be, you know, proper cool. So there's that. And also we're looking in the future and our ultimate dream, as well as the inspiration centers, is to introduce a foundation. Now, Lee will explain, but Lee's, Lee's the guy that's done all this in the last couple of weeks, but he has actually created for Rock Sober, the Rock Sober Foundation, which is very, very embryonic at this stage. But what we're hoping to achieve from that, again, Lee and I lost our jobs through alcohol. We went bankrupt, or I did, and, and Lee, you know, similar financial issues through to, through to alcohol, down to alcohol. And what we really are passionate about is giving people that are in recovery opportunities to get back to work. And that will be done through the relationships that we've built in the motorcycling industry, custom bike building, tattoos, barber shops. So we're going to help train people to, to, you know, to start again. If you want to be a tattooist, we can put you on a program. If you want to, you know, build custom bikes, we can put you on a program. And that is the dream. So the beers yeah. do have a purpose. And ultimately, you know, there's more to come. But ultimately, as I think, you know, we said when we was with you on the stage uh, a couple of weeks ago, Dave, we are a recovery brand. The beer is taking a lot of our time and it is extremely important to us. But we don't want people to confuse the fact that we are purely and simply a beer brand. The beer is a byproduct to help rock sober, help more people. Yeah, and that, that's why the, we, we set up the, uh, the CIC, the Community Interest Company. So we've called it the Rock Sober Foundation CIC. So literally, like Bo said, it's literally only been set up about two weeks. So we are at the extremely early stage, literally just the paperwork through, it's set up, you're ready to rock and roll. So we need to figure out a way of obviously raising money for that. It's a not-for-profit organisation. So, you know, whatever money we get into that will be 100% to help the community and to help other people um, in recovery. Um, so, look, you know, there's, there's lots of planning to do. We know it's not going to happen overnight. And, you know, our dreams are big. And, you know, we want those dreams to become a reality. You know, if we can help just one person, then that's fantastic. If we can help 10,000 people, then absolutely incredible. Um, but look, we know it's going to take time. We, we, we can't run before we can walk. You know, obviously, we have got to obviously look at the beer business side as well, as well as the foundation and as well as all of our other sort of lifestyle elements to the brand as well. So there's lots of things that we're juggling, juggling at the moment, which has been, you know, very, very stressful, um, to say the least but we know it's all going to be worth it. So, you know, the, the community, the sober community out there is just absolutely awesome. I mean, the event that you did, Dave, I mean, the amount of people that we spoke to and their own stories and, and everything else, honestly, it's, it's inspiring to us to, to hear other people's stories. You know, when you told us your story, Dave, and, you know, it's absolutely brilliant. And it, you know, the, I mean, your event, I, I don't want to, blow smoke up your ass Dave but it was it was it was good I think anyone, anyone <laughs> listening that is afraid to, and thinks it's going to be you know a load of dull people sitting in a room with no conversation and, and you just want to dip your toes in yeah. get yourself along to one of Dave's events everybody because 
it will open your eyes, I think, and uh, so, so many good people. Another thing as well, Dave, if I can just, you know, I'm not, I'm, I don't want to take the limelight off of your events, but obviously you'll be invited to our events when we eventually do them. But we, we want to eventually, again, in due course and in time, we want to create Rock Sober Festivals where we can have, you know, a very large gathering of potentially thousands of people in a huge field with rock and roll music, we, obviously, we know a lot of bands, uh, you know, there's um, Shadow Bones, Shadow Bones yeah. that we know. There's loads of other people that we know that, that will play for us who are sober. Um, some great, great people. So, And that's our message. It is simply to prove that you can rock and roll without drinking drugs. You don't need it. We want to be the proof in the pudding. We want people to rock and roll with us and, um, you know, rock sober, basically, mate. Yeah, but you know what you're saying there is, is like, we all go down our road and, and you, you're both incredibly ambitious and it's not for your own private gain, it's to help other people and it's fantastic. You know, the way you've named it Inspiration Centres, you know, is brilliant. And the fact is you don't have to be sober to go there because some people might just be curious. Yeah. They might want to see what it's like, dip their toe in the water. That's it. Um, and they might be shocked. I mean, at my event, Rachel from my yard said, I've never seen so many fresh faces in my yeah, life. that's it. But also, I always say that um, people have been on their own sort of path and that, but we've all got our own story, right? And... When you hear them, it normalises being sober, doesn't it? Because quite often you feel on your own, don't you? You feel, yeah. you know, when I went to that event where I met you, I literally, I didn't know how I got on the train without a drink. And then all of a sudden I met you guys, Claire Pooley, William Porter and that, and it's like, wow. And on the train on the way back, everyone was drunk, swinging off their handles and that. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. I can actually see myself doing this, you know. And yeah. from that one event, I went from strength to strength and... Then I held the event in the September that you were there. You sponsored that as well. And then we had um, Luke there and his brother, didn't we? Um, yeah, yeah. Playing and, and, and that was the start of that. But it's just such a world. You rip the blinkers off, don't you? And you look at the view and what's around you. And it, it makes me wonder with you boys, have you ever had that discussion of where you would have been now if you hadn't have stopped drinking? Possibly six foot under. That's what I say. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't want to go on about my health, but I'm, I'm diabetic and I'm celiac. Now, as a diabetic, type 1, I used to drink a lot of cider. Now, obviously, full of sugar, you know, so I used to inject insulin to negate the sugar yeah. in the cider. Now, and as a celiac, I'm not allowed to drink beer so or Guinness or anything like that. But what I, also, what I used to do is when I had enough cider, because obviously it's a bit gassy and it, you get a bit of gas and all of the rest of it, I used to drink the Guinness, but I wasn't allowed to drink it because of my celiac. So that would obviously upset my stomach. So A, I'm doing damage to my, you know, my diabetes for a start. The blood sugar levels will be all over the bloody place. I would then be probably shitting for a week because of I've had a few pints of Guinness, which isn't doing me any good. So, you know, and there, there are times where, you know, your blood sugars would either drop because you've injected and you've injected too much, which is dangerous. And obviously when it's too high, it's extremely dangerous. But at the time, I really didn't care. I really did not care at all. As far as I, I've always seen my drinking, or I always saw my drinking, I should say, as a slow suicide. 
of that's that I always saw it as that as a slow suicide. It was like, you know, if if I can if I can die drinking, I will die drinking. Mm. That that's how that was my mentality. Uh, and I mean, it's mad thinking about it now. How I mean, sometimes I do get kind of flashbacks of and and real strong feelings of of those thoughts that I used to have when I was drinking, and it it actually really scares the shit out of me mm. to think that I was actually mentally in that state. It, it's quite scary looking back at it now. Um, yeah. So who knows where I'd be? I mean. We'd be in jail if we wasn't. Yeah, dead. if we wasn't, we'd be locked away for. So you know, we were just on a. We were on a mission. We wanted to cause damage because we were. We felt, you know, vulnerable and damaged ourselves. We felt probably that, okay, well, it doesn't matter what happens to us. It's going to cause some carnage. It's ridiculous. It was so out of our character to to behave like that. So we would have ended up ended up behind bars or dead. Certainly, you know, best case scenario was going to be a park bench because. When you've got a criminal record and you can't get yourself back into work, you know, we both had mortgages to pay and all the rest of it. It just becomes, I don't know how we would have got out of it, mate. But just, you know, we only got out of our prison sentence due to good references because we'd actually been sober for a period of time before we went up to the judge. And thanks to some good references, you know, that that saved our bacon, mate. If we had carried on drinking and we hadn't made an effort to stop, we'd be we would have been sent down. Yeah, we, we and that uh, would have we, sent us down the wrong road. I mean, so. we, we got a two-year suspended sentence, both of us, and you know the the judge basically said because of the references, etc., that you know you you've kind of got away with it. And you know when when you're when you're speaking to a lawyer about events that's happened as a result of drink and you're sober. Because when we was when we was you know dealing with the lawyers and everything else, we were sober then, and it took like about two years to go to court and all that. It was just an absolute mess. But when you're told by your law lawyer when you go to get your sentence, make sure you take a bag with you. Then you 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 look round at each other and you think, holy shit, this, this is this is like shit. Am I really gonna? Am I really or are we really gonna get sent down? And he said, there is, there is a chance, yes, that you will get sent down, take a bag with you, and your heart just falls out, mate, honestly. They were showing us the CCTV footage, and when you're sober, and when you think how ridiculous my life has been, the way I've been living it, both of us, and then you sit down and you, you're, you know, they keep replaying the CCTV, you think that isn't me. That yeah, is not me. It's head in hands, and you think, geez. Embarrassing. Right. Well, and that just shows how much damage alcohol can do if it's not respected. Do you know, um, when we were chatting, when we went for the curry on Brick Lane, and Lee, you told me about your little routine you'd have indoors where you would sit the ice bucket down and the vodka and whatever, yep. and you, you know, and I did the same, right? And quite often I've kind of thought, I wonder what I would look like if I videoed myself from <laughs> yeah, the start yeah. to finish. Yeah. Of when I sat down with a big Cheshire cat smile, <laughs> putting my vodka in place and my TV remote, my cat on my lap and that, and thought, right, here we go. <laughs> to when I would pass out, how that would look and yeah. if that would put me off. And I'm sure. Yeah, I, I mean, honestly, I mean, when, when you do look back at it and like, like you know, we, we see drunk people now. I mean, it's, it's still commonplace, obviously. And... You look back and, you know, when people start talking a lot of nonsense and they start repeating themselves and say the same thing about 300 times and you sort of say, yeah, you said that five minutes ago, mate. You do think, well, I was the same. I must have been the same. 
and no doubt we were the same. So looking at looking at it from from sober eyes and look, looking at people now, you know, yes, they might think they're having a good time and fair play to them. If they are and they're not causing any trouble and everything's good, then uh, fine, crack we, on. You we know, were more fine. boring then than we are now. We were more boring as drunks than we are as sober badasses, trust me, because, yeah. yeah, we was the same, talking drivel all night, repeating the same old rubbish. And, you know, when you are sober, as, as Bro just said, you are sober, I, I mean, I personally will probably last until about nine o'clock at a family party. You get your auntie Mavis comes up to you and she's a bit piddled and she's talking shit all the time. <laughs> and you just think, I've had enough now because this is actually boring. This is, and, and uh, you know, we often put this out as posts, but a lot of people think sobriety is boring, but think again, because, you know, we don't repeat shit over and over and we're not spending the whole of our next day, you know, in bed, a little bit bent up and good for nobody. We're out there living our life and uh, making the most of it, mate. Mm. So can I ask a question, right? So this is based on how I think I felt when I was drinking and I got to a stage that, it was totally out of control, you know, a litre of vodka a night or box of wine. Then I'd make sure it was a three litre box rather than a 2.25. In fact, when those come out, I was mortified. I remember going into a supermarket and they only had 2.25 litres, which is three bottles, where three litres is four. And I was robbed because it was the same price. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, I was incredibly kind of internally angry and bitter about what had happened to me. So, you know, like with the prison thing um, and the altercation that happened and the aggression, you two are really, really laid back guys, right? And I'd like to think I am. But when I was drinking, I could turn on a sixpence and go. Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah, we were Jekyll and Hyde. Hyde. Yeah. 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 Do you think that was partly the anger you felt in your life? Because it was for me, because I... I hated myself. I I resented the position I put myself in, and I knew I was better than that as well. Yeah. But I, because it was an addictive drug, I couldn't do anything about it for years. So I used to get angry. Yeah. So when I reached a certain level of my drinking, and say someone would bump into me, I would turn like. Yeah. But that's not me at all. No, it's the same. Exactly the same, mate. I mean, it, it's ridiculous. I mean, bro, bro will you know will back me up on this, but. We used to drink together in, in certain pubs and like just little things would annoy me. Little things would annoy me. And f- not now, as, as, as being sober, they wouldn't annoy me. OK, so but bro, bro and I, we'd been sat at the bar and my head would be working overtime and blah, blah, blah. And you start twitching and you, you, you start all, all sorts of stuff and you and and bro would sort of come to me, bro, you're right. And he'd, he'd be like, oh, shit, bro's going to kick off. Oh, like, no, when it's time. It's like, oh, it. God. And it's like, but, uh, uh, you know, without a drink, I'll be absolutely fine. Uh, mm. Honestly, it was Jekyll and Hyde. And it wasn't fair to put, you know, people through that. Not, you know, not to, not just people that I didn't know, but people mm. that I did know and love, you know, kind of walking on eggshells and things like that. You know, my wife would say, oh, you know, you always used to walk on eggshells because I, I don't say or do anything in case you snap back or, you know, so it's awful, mate. Honestly, it's yeah. awful. I'm going to ask you a separate question each now, right? So, Lee, when you gave up first, what was it like watching Sean still drink? Oh, that's a, that's a good 
That's a good question because when I gave up in October, to be perfectly honest, for three months, I was a complete recluse. I did absolutely nothing. The only time I can really remember seeing bro drinking was on Christmas Day. We went for a pub lunch on Christmas Day. I can clearly remember because I was sober, sitting literally about one foot from the bar, okay, Bro was sitting a few seats away because it was a family gathering and he was still drinking by this time. And I can remember it as clear as day. He literally had a a Christmas present and it was one of, I think it was Hague, David Beckham's Hague whiskey, right? He pulled it out from underneath the table and he said, bro, smell this. It smells absolutely bloody gorgeous. <laughs> and I, went, I said, bro, are you having a laugh, mate? I said, look, I'm struggling here. Like, and literally, I can remember going to the bar and ordering drinks for the family and literally being so, so close to ordering like a, a double, triple vodka or whatever at the bar. Have a quick sneaky one. But I just thought, look, if, if I'm doing this, it's a real bad slippery slope again, because I've tried to give up before, you know, the, the most I gave up for was six months, then it, then it was like carnage again and blah, blah, blah. So I knew, I, I really did know, especially, especially after all of the trouble that we've been in, that this was the final straw, like you, you have to keep going. Yes, it's extremely tough, but you know, I, I, do you know what? I didn't even know or think that Sean would kind of have the, the same wake up call literally sort of six days later when on new year's day he woke up in a cell and then he sort of turned around to me and said bro i'm i'm now sober with you um and it sort of progressed from there really so we have helped each other Mm. um i don't know how bro has felt when i first when i stopped and bro didn't i don't know whether that was my next question actually and i (laughs) I just thought right okay so I'm just going to keep going. It was in my mentality and always was. And I remember saying to my missus after numerous rows, I'm never going to stop. Drink will kill me. Um, There's no way I can cope in life unless I drink. However, being the supportive, beautiful person that she was, she gave me the comfort that I needed to say, do you know what? What's making you drink? What is it that's making you drink? And it was a stressful job I was in. I hated it. Selling in the city, targets, always looking over my shoulder. I was made redundant so many times in the city that I'd lost all confidence. And as a salesman, that's your worst, you know, the worst thing to lose is your confidence. And she said, you know what? We'll survive. Just whatever it is that you need to do, go and find it. Go and find it. And as I said, I did a bit of voluntary work. And then I went away and set up a little coffee business with a mate of mine. And we used to drive around in an old vintage coffee truck selling coffee at festivals. And that was an epiphany because because I was happy doing what I was doing. It was a bit of a passion. Didn't have any stress. I felt absolutely fine about it. So I think you can stop if you change your circle, if you change whatever it is that is driving you to drink. And thankfully, as I said before, with having supportive people around to give us that advice, it has literally saved our life. It's a, it's a shame, really, that we didn't take that advice years ago. I think, you know, your parents always tell you, your wife always tells you, oh, you're drinking too much. Why are you drinking too much? You know, it's not good for you, blah, blah, blah. And you, 
you, you just you deny it. You just take it for granted. You go, no, no, I'm just having a great time. It's all fine. Everything, everything's good. And you do honestly think that everything is good. Um, and it was unfortunate for us that such a, I guess, a catastrophic event, if you like, you know, that, that had a significant impact on our lives. It took that to really make it change. And it, it, it's a shame that it had to come to that. We wish that we had listened. Yeah, but you know what? The way I look at it, it wasn't your time. I mean, I, I've had a few rock bottoms. One, I nearly killed myself for sure. You know, if it wouldn't have been for alcohol poisoning, it would have been for me smashing my head on the stones on the beach yeah. or something, you know. And it, I still carried on uh, yeah, drinking yeah. for another yeah. nine months. And then one day I got up, and it's a bit like you, Sean, what you said about this dream. My mum came into my dream. She'd been uh, dead for a couple of months, and and she visited me in my dream. She didn't say anything about my sobriety. She let me know she was okay. She was yeah. about 40, uh, looked immaculate really well. And subliminally, that made me feel that she knew what I was doing, if that yeah. makes sense. And it wasn't long after that and a message from a really close friend that I decided to stop. And it was literally just like that. I just yeah. stopped. Brilliant, mate. And I've never looked back, you know. And, uh, you know, it's meeting guys like you in the sober community, what you say about the event the other day and all the people we both all get involved with in the sober community. That's just helps us. We've all got each stop. other's backs, mate. We've yeah. all got yeah. each other's backs. It's such a lovely thing. I mean, we get messages and it actually helps us to respond to some of these messages because it reminds you of being on that level of your journey. Yeah. Some people are just a few days in and they ask for advice yeah. and we try and give it to them. But it actually is reminding us, you know, we, yeah. you, it's quite easy to forget why you're on this journey. When you're in a bar, tempted to buy that bottle of whiskey or, you know, um, Guinness. Yeah. But that's the way we cope. We have to replay back to that event in, in town when we behaved like a couple of animals and nearly got sent down. Well, that was as a result of drink. So one drink, well, we will never be able to have one drink, put it down and go, that was lovely. Mm. If we have one drink, we, you won't see us for one week and it will end up in tears. So you've just got to understand and that's why you're on your journey and accept yeah. it and make the most of life because what you're seeing is like reality now. You're not seeing it through any other, any other way other than through clarity. And that clarity does give you a lot more drive. Most, most people start to become more successful because they are now firing all cylinders. They're happier. They're a better mum, a better dad. So all these things that sobriety brings you, but sadly, you never find out until you take that massive leap of faith that I can do it. And if you can do it and you've got a strong community around you, as we both have, you stand a good chance because, you know, that is probably the best way to get through it rather than struggle on your own. It is. Um, there's no need these days to white knuckle it. And, and there's, there's so many resources out there now and different ways you can even start the process of stopping drinking. But you're right. You have to have that frame of mind. And quite yeah. often in my coaching, I talk about the frame of mind, how important it is that you wake up in the morning and the first thing you tell yourself is that you're grateful to be alive, but you also, you're not going to drink today. Yeah, and, yeah. And you're going to put your head on that pillow sober and give yourself the best opportunity of living your best life that day. And we all have our bad days. Let's be honest. Bloody hell, we're human beings. It's real in that, but it's how you deal with it. And what exactly. I found 
Exactly. It's now I can handle problems without having to anaesthetize myself. Yeah. Into oblivion. That's it. And, and it makes it so much easier. And I think what you guys do is fantastic. And and you know I've I've had massive respect for you from the beginning. You know and and. Part of the reason that um, we're putting this one out as episode one of season two is because you lovely boys have agreed to sponsor my podcast, which means the world to me. Um, it really yeah. does, because I love your message. I love what you're all about. And to have your name on my podcast genuinely well, means a world to Honestly, me. mate, we are, we are honoured to be on it. Honestly, we, we are thrilled to bits that, that you asked us. And, you know, we didn't hesitate to say to say yes, because, you know, you're a great guy. You know, we've all got some smashing community around us. Big part of our story. Yeah, and yeah, you are. You're, you're part of our story as well, mate, because, um, you know, you're inspirational in what, in what you're doing and, and what you've done and what you'll continue to do. And obviously these podcasts now are, are getting bigger and, 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 you know, far reaching. So it's, you know, it's, it's fantastic, mate. You're, you're putting that message out there and we're absolutely honoured to be on the first one of your new season, mate, and, and obviously sponsoring it. So, so thank you. Thank you, lads. Is there anything you would like to say before we wrap this up to all the people that really are listening to that and they've gained inspiration from what we've said? What would you like to say to those people? I would like to say that if there's anyone sitting on the fence and you're a bit nervous, then feel free. I know they'll probably either reach out to Dave but feel free to reach out to us. Uh, we always do our best to respond to DMs, but we do promise that we'll get back to you to take advantage of as many sort of sober events as possible. And Dave's ones especially smashed out of the park. Normal people, they're not dull. Uh, when we can, there'll be a bit of rock and roll. Dave, no doubt, we'll get uh, Luke back down there. Absolutely. A bit of rock and roll. And, uh, and really and truly, you know, just take that leap of faith, but maybe... Don't think that your life's over. Don't say, that's it. I'm never going to drink again at the first hurdle. Just say, you know, take it one day at a time. Maybe start to slow down initially. Get your body, you know, used to it. Maybe if you're having a couple of pints in the pub or a couple of pints indoors, maybe, and maybe fill in the gap with an alcohol-free beer in between so that you can... Go that little bit further, stay sober, you know, just be a bit more mindful. So we're not all about absolute sobriety. We support mindfulness like you do, Dave. Sadly, some of us haven't got that off switch. But if you haven't got that off switch, please do seek help. Speak to us in confidence. As Lee said, you know, we're not, we're not professional consultants, but we've lived it. And we can kind of give you the advice on how we tackled it mm. and you know, that might be right or wrong, but it's got us through almost seven years. And, you know, I think also just to just to uh, to add to that, I, I, I think when I got sober, it's a case of you start thinking about, you know, for example, that Christmas lunch, you know, you start thinking, well, what am I going to do at Christmas? How am I going to cope with Christmas? You then get to, say, October when it's my birthday. Oh, what am I going to do on me? But this is when you first, you know, stop. You're always thinking about, how am I going to cope with this next event? How am I going to cope? I've got to, go, I've got to go to a wedding or I've got to go to a football match or I've got to go to this, to that. And everyone's going to be drinking around me. How am I going to cope? And I know it's an old, it, you know, it, it, it's one of those, those classic drinking sayings, one day at a time. It's almost like kind of one second at a time. It's, mm. it's like live your life 
for the moment. Carpe diem, seize the day, seize that day, get through it. And like what you said, Dave, you know, you can go to bed at night, put your head on the pillow. You can be proud of yourself. When the next day comes, you deal with it on the next day. Don't think about the next day. Just deal with it as, you know, as things arise. Be strong. You've got that strength. Everyone has that strength in them. Um, Don't be ashamed yeah, of being sober. No, this is the no. biggest, I think, one of the biggest problems. I was almost ashamed. Mm. You know, I wanted to be a rock and roller. You know, I didn't want to change. I'm still badass, but I don't drink. So make that side of your personality, make it badass that you don't drink. Mm. It is badass. It's more, it, it takes a stronger man or, or woman to stand up to somebody that says, go on, just have one, to yeah. say, I'm really sorry, but I don't want one, thank you very much. Because yeah. it's just like offering them a cigarette if they don't smoke, they're going to yeah. say no. Don't be ashamed of it. Just say, no, I'm, I'm sorry, but, you know, I've chosen this path and I'd appreciate it if you respected it. And for those that keep going on and on and on, they're not real friends. And what you said before is be proud of it, because I am. You know, people say yeah. to me, I say, look, I'm sober. And do you know what? I am bloody proud of it as yeah. well. And that shuts them up, honestly. I think it's important to say as well um, what to say to people is that if their drinking has got to a a state that it's, you know, you're getting withdrawals in the morning and stuff, that you really have got to seek um, medical help. 100%. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, if you you get withdrawals, it's dangerous. Can't just stop. No, no, um, no. no. No, I think that's important to say. Because yeah. uh, I, I think I was very lucky in that area. I spoke to William Porter, who wrote, wrote Alcohol Explained. And I think for me, I'm a big guy. I work really, really hard. And he kind of said, you know, I, I've, I used to work it off in the morning where for others it's different. So we all got our own, our bodies have got our own way of reacting. Yeah. Right? So yeah. if there's anyone that suffers any kind of withdrawal, you really got to see. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. yeah, go to your GP and if it requires, you know, going to a rehabilitation place to, you know, to wean off of it so they can monitor yeah. you because you can get some serious side effects and, and mm. stuff with that. So, yeah, certainly be careful. Well, boys, it's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, Thank well, you fam. so much for coming on my podcast and... We will definitely meet up soon at our famous Brick Lane. We will, mate. We've been we've been planning it for ages, haven't we? But with with everything that's been going on and obviously the COVID stuff, but you know, we will definitely get together, mate, and we'll have that ruby. And um, yeah, what's funny about that story is that that's the first time we went for a curry, wasn't it? And it was absolutely belting down with rain, if you remember. Yeah, yeah. And um, the guy was saying, come in, come in, have free drinks. Free right? drinks, so we're yeah. All, <laughs> we're all covered in tattoos and beards and whatever. And he brought over free lagers and we said, <laughs> we don't drink, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Stick that in your pipe, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I remember there was a whole table full of lads next to us and their mouths were open. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's how proud we are of our sobriety. That's it, the, that's the ending message on that one, you know. That's it, bro. Um, and thank you for everything, Dave. Uh, we want to thank you personally for all your support and for helping us help, you know, spread our message. So we truly appreciate it. There's lots to come from us two, us three, and uh, we're looking forward to what's in the future, bro. Amen. Me too. Thank you ever so much, boys. And Pleasure, uh, mate. look forward to seeing you soon. Yeah. God bless, Dave. Take care, mate. See you later. God Bye, bless you. Take care. Bye, lads. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you so much for listening.
One for the Road can be found on all the usual podcast platforms. Don't forget to subscribe, and if you have a moment, then please do leave a review so that more listeners can enjoy the conversation. You can find me on Instagram at SoberDave or drop me an email at info at davidwilsoncoaching.com. I'd love to hear from you. Until next time, have a great week and take care.